What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Zen nicotine pouches deliver nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime, which means Zen pairs well with you, your personality, your schedule, and your spontaneity. Zen fits easily into your bag, pocket, and into your life because it's smoke-free, hands-free, and hassle-free. So the only person who will know you have a Zen pouch in is you. Visit Zen.com or head to your local convenience store today to find your Zen. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. We have the return. Every time a search warrant is executed in the U.S. anyway, there has to be what is called a return. On that return, you see what was actually seized during the search warrant. It's really like a laundry list of everything taken from the home. Now, as all you legal eagles know, the judge had sealed the search warrant, the probable cause supporting the search warrant, and the return for Brian Koberger's apartment there at Steptoe Village uh, in Pullman, Washington. Guys, what do we know? about that return. I'm Nancy Grace. This is Crime Stories. Thank you for being with us here at Fox Nation and Sirius XM 111. Take a listen to this. The highly anticipated warrants contain new details about what investigators were looking for and what they found. It also alleges that Koberger pre-planned the ambush and had studied other murders and how to avoid detection as part of his preparations. An affidavit seeking the search warrant reads, quote, these murders appear to have been planned rather than a crime that happened in a moment of conflict, unquote. Because the victim's home contained a significant amount of blood, spatter, and cast-off, investigators told the court they believed they would find some of that evidence transferred to Koberger's apartment. Once inside his apartment, police found what they were looking for. In the search warrant, officers say, based on the locations of the suspect vehicle and the suspect's phone immediately following the murders, it is probable that Koberger went home after the killings. And it is likely that he still had blood or other trace evidence on his person, including skin cells or hair from the victims or from Kaylee Gonsalves' dog. You are hearing our friends at Crime Online and CBS News with me an all-star panel to make sense of what we know right now but i can tell you this much a few words in my mind sum it all up a stained pillow and a glove 
straight out to Laura Engel, joining us, senior correspondent, Fox News Channel. Laura, tell me everything. As you mentioned, finally, we are getting this glimpse uh, of what police were looking for. That's listed in this unsealed search warrant and what they found, the list of items uh, that investigators seized in the search of suspect Brian Koberger's Washington State apartment uh, include 15 items. Uh, it was on the last page of the search warrant that we got yesterday. This uh, search warrant was about 49 pages long. And when you go through the list, you mentioned the glove, one nitrate type black glove, a Walmart receipt with one Dickies tag. Remember the suspect described by DM, by Dylan, the surviving roommate, said she saw somebody dressed head to toe in dark clothing. Dickies has dark clothing. We know that. Two Marshall's receipts, dust container from a vacuum, eight possible hairs. One of those hairs is a possible animal hair strand. As we know, Kaylee Gonzalez, the victim, one of the victims, Murphy, her dog, was in the home at the time. Uh, a computer tower and a collection of dark red spots uh, without testing. Now, this stuff hasn't been tested, but that's the other part that we're waiting for, right? Once they test those hair strands, once they test these dark red stains, both um, on this uh, uncased pillow and the bottom of a mattress cover that was packaged and labeled, put in a chain of custody, everything labeled with evidence. Um, but look, we saw, right, all that video of the investigators coming out of Brian Koberger's apartment in Washington State, tubs and tubs, boxes and boxes and bags. So this list that has those 15 items is most likely just a very small sample of what they recovered, but it is at least what they told us um, that they have to su substantiate the search warrant. And then also within the search warrant was a list of what they were looking for. It's a long list, but the highlights include they were looking for blood, human tissue, knives, sheaths, sharp tools, daggers, swords, and anything that had sales receipts of those items. And specifically also any images, digital or on paper, of the victims and or the house at 1122 King Road, looking for dark clothing and looking for data compilations. Uh, and of course, you know, as we heard there um, in that report, they also say in this um, search warrant, they allege that Koberger pre-planned the ambush rather than this happening in a moment of conflict. And also noted that he had studied other murders and how to avoid detection as part of this preparation. And remember, a search warrant has to be very specific. Uh, you can't have a judge <laughs> sign a warrant where the cop says, well, we just want to go fish around, see if we can find anything. That is why you're hearing Laura Engel clearly detail what cops say they're interested in, what they hope to find specifically. A judge will never sign off on basically a fishing expedition where you have no idea what you're looking for. Guys, take a listen to our friend Dave Mack. In requesting the search warrant, it was pointed out that, quote, the King Road residence contained a significant amount of blood from the victims, including spatter and cast off, a bloodstained pattern resulting from blood drops released from an object due to its motion, making it likely that this evidence was transferred to Koberger's person, clothing or shoes. Based on the locations of the suspect vehicle and the 8458 phone immediately following the murders, it is probable that Koberger went home to his residence at 1630 Northeast Valley Road. 
at that time, it is likely that he still had blood or other trace evidence on his person, clothes, or shoes, including skin cells or hair from the victims or from Gonzalez's dog. Uh, Sid here in the studio with me went along on our expedition where we went from the crime scene there on King Road on the circuitous route. And Cheryl McCollum, man, I wish he'd been in the in the SUV with us. There were times, it takes, takes him an hour and 10 minutes to get home that way, or it took us that, that long. Dark, uh, like where you and I grew up in the country, no streetlights, pitch dark. Uh, couldn't see the road. A lot of the road was dirt or gravel. So bumpy that it would make everybody in the SUV shake up and down. That's so bumpy. He took that route for a reason, but should have been a 10-minute drive. That is why what's in that car is so significant. But I was thinking about, uh, as Dave Mack read from the warrant, all the spatter at the scene, the cast-off, a bloodstain pattern resulting from blood drops released from an object due to its motion, in other words, the stabbing motion, and the pullback of the knife for another stab, making it likely this evidence was transferred to Koberger's person, clothing, or shoes. And that based on what they could tell from his cell phone, he then gets into that white Elantra and sets off for the long drive that Sydney and I made just the other night. Nancy, that cast off is not only going to land on his clothing, it's going to land on his face, it's going to land in his hair, on his arms, if his hands had the nitrate gloves, so to speak, but his wrist and his arms, it is going to be so easy for that to transfer when he, you know, pulls his clothing off, when he lays on the bed from exhaustion, whatever. All of those things are just this natural progression of how the Lockhart principle we talk about all the time, from one scene to another, it is transferred. You can't go in a scene or leave a scene without taking something and leaving something. You are hearing Cheryl McCollum, forensic expert, founder of the Cold Case Research Institute. You can find her at coldcasecrimes.org. And uh, very important, she is a forensics expert. Uh, still working the force. Also with me, Giovanni Masucci, senior digital forensic examiner, 35 years of experience. Giovanni, follow up with Cheryl. What do you think of what she said? He's absolutely right on that as far as, as, as trace evidence, um, blood splatter, and bringing something into the site and, and onto the site with you. I totally concur on that. You know what's interesting um, to Giovanni and Cheryl? A lot of times, perps and crime scene techs, not you two, of course, miss blood high up on the wall or on the ceiling. Forget to look up. Now, what a tragedy that would have been, for instance, in the Ted Bundy case, because the ceiling blood spatter showed the exact trajectory of the blood from the bludgeoning of the girls. Exactly. They could even get uh, a pretty good idea if not the exact idea, of the amount of force Bundy used when he hit his victims based on the degree of blood and the way it spattered on the ceiling 
What about that, Cheryl? Yeah, not only does it show the force, but for me, when I first walk into a scene like that, I can tell by the number of cast-offs that are on the wall and the ceiling how many times that victim was stabbed. So if I've got four Mm -hmm. cast-off patterns, the victim was stabbed at least five times because the first time the knife was clean. First time, then you pull the knife back, stab again, back, stab again, back, stab again. That's what she's talking about. So why use nitrate gloves as opposed to rubber gloves or plastic gloves? Nitrate waterproof, greaseproof, oilproof, and most importantly, chemically resistant. Now, with their tearproof, that's the most important thing. That's right. Very good point. I'm hearing the voice of Dale Carson, high-profile lawyer out of Jacksonville and former Fed with the FBI. Jump in. Go ahead. You know, talking about uh, Magic Cheryl, I, I, I will just tell you, you can also determine the, the, the dominant hand of the striker often and the height of the striker. So, when when that first came out back in the 1980s, it was mm-hmm. classified FBI material. We were we were told not to disclose that technique to anyone, and now it's become pretty much mainstream. And if you could quickly, if there is a way to do it quickly, explain how you determine the height of the perp based on these markings. Well, it's all coming from arm length. You just draw a circle from one point to a swing to a swing with your shoulder and your arm extended mm-hmm. and and you go back to a common point mm-hmm. that's a shoulder socket and then you can you can guess at the height of the individual when you do those sort of things were they standing were they sitting there are all sorts of technical abilities that they have with that effort now that were just unheard of 40 years ago yeah you're right guys take a listen to more from dave mack Court documents released by Whitman County show what evidence investigators were looking for when they searched Koberger's residence and his office. They were searching for any blood, bodily fluid, or skin cells. As for weapons, they searched for any knives, sheets, or other sharp tools. They also searched for any digital or paper images of the victims or the King Road house. They looked for clothing, including but not limited to dark shirts, dark pants, masks, or shoes with a diamond pattern sole. Investigators also sought any digital evidence linking him to the victims, the King Road house, or any data compilations showing an interest in murder. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. 
That's trinityschool.org. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. You know, it's so dense, Laura Engel. I mean, I've had to read this several times, and I remember in law school, Laura, this is reminding me of that. Right. I, I came from being a Shakespearean literature major, and you know, I'd, I'd read a sentence in a U.S. Supreme Court decision that was almost a whole paragraph, right. and I would actually have to dissect the sentence. And when I look back at my criminal law book, which is huge and thick, there are watermarks on so many pages because it, I'd have to study so much. I would even study in the bathtub, just reading constantly. And finally, one time I'm like, okay, this is going too far. I studied on the back row of church one night. I'm like, okay, this has got to stop. This is something is wrong about this. I don't know what it is. But the, my point is, did you just hear Dave Mack reading that? I mean, it's just so chock full of so much evidence. Listen, I mean, I, legal aspects. Investigators also sought digital evidence linking him to the victims. Right. Data compilations showing an interest in murder. Digital or paper images of the victims or the King Road house. Clothing, including but not limited to dark shirts, dark pants, mask or shoes with a diamond pattern sole to hopefully match back up to the diamond pattern sole mark in the home. Every sentence here is just an explosion of information, Laura Engel. That's right. And and when you go through that list of what they were looking for, you mentioned the data compilations and the plan. They he was they were looking for any data compilations of the planning of murder, but also specifically murder, violent assault, stabbing, and or cutting of people. And they were looking for an example of ledgers, papers, lists, books, notes, letters, calendars, address books contact lists, diaries, tapes, photographs, videos, emails, text messages. They were looking for cell phones. They were looking for passwords, phrases, codes, patterns, fingerprints, user names to operate any of those devices. They wanted the devices. They wanted to see if he had written down any of the passwords so they could get into those electronics. And you're right. it It is very dense. They were very specific. And when you think about how a search warrant is executed, I was speaking to uh, former NYPD officers yesterday. I said, tell me how you go in. He said, well, we get the warrant. We have the list. Then you're methodical going room by room. You've got the person who's actually looking for the items on the list. Then you've got the other police officer next to you recording how it's going down. So they're watching it. They're recording it. They are writing uh, their own log of how they're obtaining this evidence and information. We've talked about the chain of command, how they're sealing it up, how they put their initials on it. Um, there is a lot more that we are going to learn. This is the search warrant of his apartment. We've learned they did not find much, or if anything, in his office. We've got to get to the search warrant of the car. That will hopefully be revealed soon. Uh, but this list of the apartment, you're right, it, it is very dense tells us how meticulous they were. And you look at the you look at the timestamp on page one, filed January third. Remember what we were doing January? Yeah. The arrest had just happened. They had quickly put together this list of exactly what they wanted to find in this apartment and they found a good amount. What I want to know is is he gonna come back? Did he leave 
Is the house abandoned, the apartment abandoned, which is another indicia of guilt because of the flight issue. And if is he coming back? I mean, you can look, is there food in the refrigerator? All those kinds of things will give you an idea of whether he intended to come back. Dale Carson uh, speaking. Dale Carson, you know, as I always say, when you don't know a horse, look at his track record. He went straight back to school as if nothing had changed. He participated in classes. He texted his neighbor that I talked to. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. Right. I said nothing was wrong, so I would venture to extrapolate he was coming back as if nothing had happened. Also with us, Chris McDonough, director of the Cold Case Foundation, former homicide detective, worked over 300 homicides, host of The Interview Room on YouTube. Chris, one thing I always like to do during searches or when I would visit a crime scene is just sit down. There's nothing to sit on. Just stand there quietly and think. If I wanted to hide something in this room, where would I hide it? And just sit there while everybody else is going cray on everything and taking pictures and measurements and finding stuff to just sit and think Think calmly about everything you might miss. What about it, Chris? Homicide 101, Nancy. They, where you take in each wall independently. And if we look at this um, return here, yesterday we talked about there's going to be a huge push for digital footprint. We're starting to see that today. But what we're missing here is there are six locations where these individual hairs were discovered. In one location, there were eight of them. And then in the others, there was an animal hair, another possible hair, item eight, item nine, item 10, item 11. These are six locations where these hairs were discovered and they were transferred from something or somebody either the crime scene, as Cheryl has talked about, the suspect, or the victims. But somebody caught each of these hairs independently. The other thing that we see is very interesting here are the receipts, uh, items number two and three, where this guy had gone out, it appears, and purchased items pre-planning. Something's going on here with that. And we see a new discovery, I think it's on page 18, where he was caught on video at a chef's store, at least passing a chef's store near the coffee um, area, where after the homicides, he drove out there. So those minutiae details are starting to flow, just as, just as you've predicted, and then we've talked about here on your show. Sydney, do you remember when we were out in Idaho, and we... A woman came up to us, and she was talking about his route back home and that he would have crossed over, was it the Red Bridge? Red Wolf Bridge, maybe? Yeah, yeah that, that was it, Red Wolf Bridge. That's it. And she was talking about how he had passed a chef store and a coffee shop. That was the grocery store trip. Exactly. And I'm just thinking back about that chef store and what type of cutlery and knives were sold 
there. Hey, Chris McDonough, don't worry, Bethany, I'm coming right to you. Chris McDonough, speaking of a black glove, Sydney just reminded me of this. A black glove, I think, that was found. Yes, ma'am. What about the one black glove that you found, that you spotted and pointed it out to a cop at the scene, at the, at the crime scene? It, it's certainly going to be interesting. Um, you, I couldn't tell what specific makeup the glove was because it, it had snow and uh, looked like some leaves over it. You could definitely see the fingertips, but I could not tell if it was consistent with the type of materials that they have listed uh, in this uh, return search warrant affidavit. So it, it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Bethany Marshall with us, uh, high-profile psychoanalyst joining us out of L.A. She's at drbethanymarshall.com, and she is the star of a hit series on Netflix, Bling Empire. Dr. Bethany, I want you to take a listen to our friends at KTVB, and I want to talk to you about the blood on Koberger's Hello, listen. Investigators searched his apartment on December 30th, the same day he was arrested at his parents' home in Pennsylvania. According to that search warrant, investigators found and confiscated a number of things, including a synthetic rubber black glove, several possible hair strands, both human and dog, two cuttings from an uncased pillow with a reddish-brown stain, as well as two mattress covers packaged separately with multiple stains. Police also searched Koberger's teaching office at Washington State University, but the records show they did not take anything. In the search warrant, there was a mention of how items such as blood or hair could be transferred from the crime scene to Koberger and end up back in his car or at his apartment. Investigators located a possible animal hair strand. Now, remember, Kaylee Gonzalez's dog was at the home the night of the murders. They also found three possible hairs and a possible hair strand. They collected what could be blood as there was a reddish-brown stain on an uncased pillow, as well as multiple stains on a top and bottom mattress cover. Dr. Bethany, I've been thinking a lot about the what we believe to be a blood stain on his pillow, Koberger's pillow, on his bed. Mm-hmm. Do you remember just a, a day or two ago, photos came out of Koberger in court, and he had cuts all along his right jaw. And we that were right. told it was from shaving. So if you want to believe the blood, the poten- potential blood, on his pillowcase was from shaving, that would mean he had to shave before he went to bed, which really doesn't make any sense, does it? That makes no sense at all, Nancy. You know, um, this was a very bloody crime scene, and obviously the victims must have fought back. And even though it was a surprise attack, it was a crime of opportunity, he, he, he attacked them in their sleep, you know, instinctually they were reactive. And uh, it could be that even in the frenzy, he cut himself with his own knife. It's a little scary to speak up in front of this panel of crime scene investigators, but I have a different way of looking at this as a mental health expert, and that is through the the lens of Koberger's fantasy life. Um, we're looking at a, sl- a thin slice of history here, the night of the crime, the months preceding, the week or two after the crime. But I know that serial killers in the making have prolific fantasy lives. They eat, sleep, breathe homicide. That's 
all they think about. So his apartment is likely going to be organized around his fantasy life, just like a kid who's obsessed with Dungeons and Dragons is going to have that kind of equipment all over their room. Um, or an alcoholic is going to have, uh, let's see, tequila bottles all over the apartment. What does a serial killer do in the making? If, in, if indeed my theory is correct that this, he was a serial killer in the making, he botched his first crime. We know that the reason they strike and then they go underground for months at a time before they strike again is they can feed off of their own fantasy life. And that means that that digital imprint what he was looking at online, what he was reading, maybe even um, a pattern of semen around the household as he's looking at different images and using it to fuel um, sadistic sexual fantasies, that, that that is a dark underground layer that I don't know if crime scene investigators look at, but I'm sure that leaves an imprint too. I'm just thinking about what you said, Dr. Bethany, and I remember when I was out doing Dancing with the Stars, I managed to uh, wiggle into a couple of celebrities' homes. They had trophies everywhere, pictures of themselves and fancy artwork, and which was beautiful, and weird sculptures that I didn't know what they were. <laughs> then at our home, um, everything is covered in pictures of the twins and our family and, you know, tacky little tchotchke from wherever we've visited, you know. That's right. Nancy, in the Bundy case, you know, he drew, hand-drew pictures of himself in various costumes with broken arms or arms in a, in a sling. And it was, he was very good at that. And those were drawn prior to the attacks. And so what Dr. Bethany is saying is entirely accurate. Those individuals live in a world that most of us cannot understand because they are driven by a, a powerful biologic urge. So you add that to your fantasy and you've got somebody who's a real animal. And, you know, Cheryl McCollum with me. Oh, I was just coming to you. Oh, and Laura, I want to circle back with you about the cutlery. Don't let me forget Laura Engel. Uh, you're the ringmaster today. Cheryl McCollum, remember uh, in the district attorney's office what my office looked like on the inside? Yes. There were two very old, uh, oh, what were they, Monet prints. And then everything else, I remember there was a sawed-off shotgun mm -hmm. from a crime. It's like that big. There was uh, a huge blow-up that I'd used for a jury. Don't touch the Alram. This is a Roby from my dyslexic bank robber who then, when he did his writing sample, he also did the writing sample with the letters reversed. So that did not take a writing, a handwriting expert to win that jury trial. So I was lucky about his handwriting. And just all sorts of weird, bizarre memorabilia things that had come from cases years back that had already gone up and affirmed on appeal. Do you remember that? I'm just thinking about what Bethany said, and I find that really insightful. Right, and it, it's something we talked about weeks ago when we used the analogy of somebody planning a wedding. It's all they can think about. All they can look at are dresses and cakes and flowers and venues. 
they can't help themselves and they can't hide it. And that's why I thought he would have maps on the wall and photographs and he he would have this stuff lay out because this is what he wants. I've said multiple times it's porn to him. He can't get enough of it, whether it's Dr. Ramson's class, whether it's something online he's researching, whether it's something he's putting together at home and he's putting on the clothes and practicing. I'm telling you, he has not hidden this in any way possible. And I want to say again, remember that Dr. Ramsland did not make him. He went because of what he already was. Hey, Cheryl, I just want to remind you, do you remember where that sawed-off shotgun came from that I had in my office? A guy convicted on two rapes goes to the penitentiary on rape, does seven years, he gets out, and what does he do? He gets a sawed-off shotgun as soon as he leaves the jail, Flags down a lady like he needs help with a car, and he kidnaps her and rapes her. Day one. The day he got out of jail. Within hours. Yes, within hours. Hey, Nancy. Yes, jump in. I'm sorry, Laura Engel. Please blame it on Bethany Marshall again. <laughs> go ahead, Beth. Okay, BTK killer. Didn't he have like a red latex outfit, himself sitting on a chair, all bound up? He had all these pictures of himself in various BDSM uh, styles of dress, and he would look at these pictures. So it wasn't just the, the, the blood, the crime. It was all these pictures he left behind, and including on the disc that he sent to the pastor of the church. There's some credible research that pedophiles, when they're discharged, when they're released from jail, are more primed to offend because they've been living in their fantasy world while they're in prison. Um, and it's sort of a, a sexualized fantasy world. So it actually increases their propensity to go out and look at victims. I've got to tell you something, Dr. Bethany, you have no idea what's happening while you're talking. Uh, Cheryl, this is a yes, no. Do you remember the beautiful court reporter that was murdered in the courthouse shootings? Of course, Julie. Julie. And then my other favorite court reporter, Ms. Donna Keeble. I was looking at Sydney here in the studio whenever Dr. Bethany Marshall starts talking and other times. And I'll rem- never forget how Donna Keeble and Julie, as evidence would come out during testimony, they would make all sorts of faces. <laughs> and we- <laughs> yes. and the jury yes. would be looking at them, too. And yes. like, if the defendant would get up and say some BS on the stand, they'd roll their eyes. And the jury would be looking right at them. And (laughs) Bethany Marshall said, BTK in his red latex suit. I wish you could have seen. I thought her head was going to just fly off. But it reminded me of my court reporters. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. 
Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Okay, Laura Engel. Don't anybody say a word while Engel is talking. Hit me, Laura. Two things here. Well, you, we had our guest mention the U.S. Chef store that was part of the route, was along the route on the way home. So obviously he didn't go there that day if he has ever been to the store. But when you go to that website, the U.S. Chef store that's located in Clarks, Washington, next to that Kate's Cup of Joe place, mm-hmm. um, you look at the things that you can buy there, there are many fixed blade uh, knives that you can buy. We've all, we've been talking about the K-Bar. We've been talking about military uh, hunting stores. But when you go to that chef store website, you do see that there are the dynamic chef's knife, 10 inches long, the forged eight inch knife. These are huge knives. But would they have a hilt? Look at, well, look at the photos for me, Laura Engel, because there's something about the bodies. Giovanni Masucci, senior forensic examiner, 35 years in the business. They came out at the get-go and said, and I'm wondering if this is because of the marks left on the bodies, that they believe the victims were murdered with a military-style type knife fixed blade which would suggest it had a hilt and i don't recall any of our kitchen knives having a hilt but i am not a knife expert i can't claim that what about it giovanni because of the way that the the that type of blade is made Mm -hmm. um it leaves type of indentation on the body so they're looking at that as well and what can come from the blood splatter as well on it but the way that the, the handle is made, the way that the, the, the blade is forged, um, gives it some kind of indication on the markings. And so that's how they're potentially able to determine between whether it being just a kitchen knife or a heavy grade knife or a military blade or whether it was not fixed, um, if it wasn't a lock blade or, or, or military grade. And you know, Laura Engel, I don't put a lot of store in... I've compared it to forensic dentistry because flesh, you know, when you're analyzing bite marks on human flesh, flesh moves. So you can't really get, it's like trying to take a teeth mold uh, for the orthodontist in jello. You're not going to get a good print. Right. So I don't know that there really was a hilt. You know, we, we just, we don't know, right? Because the item has not been discovered. But when you look at, you know, we don't know if he went to this. I, I'm sure that investigators have gone into the U.S. chef store. And oh, yeah. Them, and we'll, we'll find out about that later. Uh, when you look at a chef's knife overview, you see that it has a blade and an edge and a heel and what's called a bolster. It's all just the anatomy of a, of a chef's knife. Um, is it possible? Sure. Another thing I want to bring to your attention is uh, we, I don't have this. I haven't talked to this person, but the Daily Mail is reporting that one of uh, a girl that he went to school with, Brian Koberger, in sixth grade, uh, the FBI has reportedly interviewed this lady, Kim Keneally, and she was his middle school crush. Um, and the FBI reportedly has interviewed her 
um, because he developed a crush and began romantically pursuing her and she rebuffed him. And a lot of, we've heard that a lot of former classmates have been interviewed. These classmates are describing Koberger as a chubby, awkward misfit. But what's important to note here is one of the former students, a third former classmate uh, noted in this article says, it's interesting to me that the girls, and he was made fun of, everybody here says that the popular girls, the cheerleader, literally tortured him. Girls started making fun of him in middle school. And then when he seemed to turn his life around in high school, and he started boxing and lost weight, he was a totally different person. But they described him as someone with a short fuse, constantly trying to change his style and personality. And then this third former classmate says this, It's interesting to me that the girls he's accused of killing were nice-looking and seemingly popular, much like the ones that made fun of him throughout his childhood. Okay, I know right where to go with that. That's Dr. Bethany Marshall. Jump in, Bethany. Well, what comes to mind is the, as I talked about so many times, stalkers, that they take like little bits and pieces of a connection. Maybe they just see an image of somebody or a a high schooler walking down the hallway and they fantasize an entire relationship with that person. And then because that person's not responding, that person may not even know that he existed. Then they get stuck in these profound feelings of rejection, which then give way a crush on this teacher, Nancy, isn't it kind of creepy that everyone knew about it? I mean, most high school and middle-aged boys have crushes here and there, but nobody knows about it. So it tells me how obsessional this guy was. And, you know, it, the idea that girls, I read in one report, actually threw things at him, that that's how much they didn't like him, means that his creepy, obsessional stalkerish nature it was kind of just exuding out of every pore this wasn't the guy that was sort of hiding in plain sight looked normal and oh he just snapped and nobody knew about it there were clues all the way leading up here so we're going to know so much more as this trial uh, gets underway del carson final thought well i i think they've done a really good job of doing that search warrant they'll find much more evidence than was listed on that return oh yeah and we're going to learned that that hair is connected with something connected with a crime scene. And to you, Giovanni Masucci, Senior Digital Forensic Examiner, what do you make of the computers and digital data they took from the apartment? I was excited to see that. They wrote the search warrant excellent. I used to review search warrants for law enforcement and help them with the digital data to make sure they had it right. So they weren't going back to the judge two and three times which the judge does not like. But fire stick, I was excited to see that because that can be jailbroken. And with a jailbroken fire stick, you can access anything you want on the internet, including social media. So there's potential evidence that they can pull from that. Um, also the computer tower, oh my gosh. From, um, you know, everybody was talking about, you'd expect to see it at, at his apartment, you know, pictures and so on. Well, guess what? You can have digital pictures on there. Mm-hmm. You can have, you know, all this data of him collecting potential evidence on the floor, you know, because it, I mean, it's so seemed that it was pre-planned, obviously. And so in my opinion, and so, you know, the data that could have been collected right. on there, 
oh my gosh, unbelievable amounts of evidence, potential evidence they can find from um, that computer tower and both the fire stick. You know, uh, another thing I was just thinking about uh, regarding photos and digital photos and what would be in the home, the neighbor told me when he glanced into Koberger's apartment, it was very, very sparse. Okay, Chris McDonough, joining us in the Cold Case Foundation. Final thought. I, I believe, Nancy, at this point, uh, it, it's going to continue to emerge that this guy had many weird encounters with women over time, and probably many underlying fetishes will, will produce themselves. Um, and that I still am going with the idea that he believed he was the deliverer of justice, and that as these women come forward and the digital evidence starts to present his personality a little bit deeper. Um, it's not going to surprise me one iota that he had a contact point within that digital footprint with these four victims, or at least one of them mm-hmm. in that home. And yeah. that drove him to that, to that home. Cheryl McCollum. I'm going to talk about the totality of this evidence. So when you look at the house, where the crimes occurred, his apartment, his car, his digital footprint, his debit card, where he made purchases and payments, the cell phone, not just pings and calls and texts, but people keep notes on their phone and photographs. But I'm going to go to the animal hair. This suspected alleged killer did not have a pet. If that comes back to be Murphy, Kaylee's dog, that is a money tree, and they're going to be able to take the DNA from that hair and match it straight to that dog, and I'll tell you two reasons. Not only is the DNA from the actual hair, but dogs groom themselves by licking. That means that hair's got double the DNA on it. That's going to be a money tree. It's, um, you know, when we hear Laura Engel reporting the facts and our awesome experts analyzing them, picking them apart, sometimes... uh some people can forget that we're talking about Kelly, Madison, Zana, and Ethan. I'm not forgetting. Goodbye, friend. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.